a shameless plug. Um, we're studying this whole month, not only here on Sunday morning in the sermons, but also on Wednesday nights, the prophecies, four prophecies from Isaiah that are looking at the birth of Christ. I encourage you to come back and be a part of those with us. Uh, it's, I think, very helpful to understand where these come from, the context that they come from, and how they apply to us. So on Wednesday night, we'll be studying the passage in depth. On Sunday morning, I'll be doing a sermon from the same passage, and I hope you can be here. Next week, we're going to be looking at uh, Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 10, and we're going to be looking at the prophecy about one from Jesse's lineage, uh, or the Jesse tree, uh, sometimes the tree of Jesse. Uh, and so I encourage you to be here this coming Wednesday night for that study, and then next Sunday our sermon will come from there as well. By the way, I don't know if uh, Brian, uh, Brandon excuse me, was thankful for our church family. I had a little reminder of that this morning when uh, the, one of the little ones, uh, in this case it happened to be Sophie, from the preschool class walked up and handed me a card. And I'm sure whatever that says, it says, we love you. <laughs> but you know, it's, it's, it's wonderful that our little ones are being taught from a young age to show appreciation uh, to the brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to follow their example, folks, and be doing the same thing. It's, that's how we get through this mess, is by encouragement. And uh, just encourage us to do that more and more. The reason we need that encouragement is because, and, and I think this is something that's really important for us to remember, the Christian life is a journey, not a destination. Uh, think about that. The Christian life is a journey, not a destination. So often we think that, okay, I've become a Christian, I made it. Well, no, you haven't. You've just embarked on a journey. You're just getting there. And you say, well, wait a minute, Roger. You know, what about heaven? You know, that, that's, you know, the streets of gold, the banquet, and all that kind of stuff. And heaven's good, and that's, that's where ultimately we want to get to. But before we get there, we got some territory to cover. We got some life to live. And the question we all need to ask, and sometimes signs can be really hard, can't they? You know, <laughs> keep right, road turns left. Um, you know, uh, we, we got to be very careful to follow the Lord's direction because we can find ourselves on the wrong road. And that's why the journey is so important. If we're not paying attention while we're on the journey, we can end up on the wrong road and end up where the Lord does not want us to be. But there's so many roads to choose from. And it's so distracting as we go through life. And ironically, it's at this season of the year that things seem to get the most distracting. Uh, you know, all of the commercialism, all of the bells and whistles that are going on, just our, our really busy schedules make it hard for us to really be thankful for the provision that God has given to us in His Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's so odd that at this season of the year when we especially celebrate his birth that it is one of the easiest times for us to get distracted from the reason for the season. But you know, it seems to be the way our culture has gone, hasn't it? 
Thanksgiving is no longer Thanksgiving. It's just a springboard for what? Black Friday, exactly. Christmas shopping. You know, it, it's, we, we become very, very commercialized. Uh, and I know that's a bit of a bah humbug when we look at the season. And, and hang with me, we'll get to some of the good stuff here. But it's the truth. And this is not a new problem. Uh, Thursday evening, Glenda was putting up the lights on the Christmas tree. Notice I said Glenda. I, wasn't, I was just kind of sitting back throwing pot shots at her. But uh, <laughs> um, Glenda was putting up the lights on the Christmas tree. As we watched, remember A Charlie Brown Christmas? Don't you love that show? You know, I hadn't watched it in years. And I'm sitting there watching this show, and it just struck me as I'm watching it how even back then, they were talking about how commercialized Christmas had become and what a mess it had become. That's in the 1960s. Has it gotten any better, church? No, no. It hasn't improved at all. It's gotten worse. And we don't just want, you know, lots of presents. We want to have a good shopping experience while we buy those presents, don't we? And we want to shop in stores that make everything convenient for us down to the very financing with which we pay for those gifts. We want this not only in our shopping experience, but we, we want it in other places too. Our, our culture has gotten very spoiled. I'm just going to put it that way. We've gotten very spoiled. And I include myself in that designation. Back in 1996, we've already talked about, you know, 1960s, problem was already recognized. But back in 1996, this is just humorous, at the Bridger Wilderness Area in the Teton National Forest in Wyoming, uh, there was a number of letters sent in to the National Park, suggestions for how they could make the uh, experience there better. Uh, and so the, some of the things that they said about this uh, trail hiking experience um, was, uh, I think this is going to pop up here in just a little bit. Well, it's not there. So we're just going to talk about it. <laughs> One of the things that they said was that we need to, uh, the trails need to be reconstructed. Please avoid trails, this is an actual letter, that go uphill. <laughs> I guess the only way you really avoid that is to put escalators in, right? <laughs> well, wait a minute, they had that one too. A chairlift needs to be something, uh, it needs to be put in some places so that we can have wonderful views without having to hike to them. Okay. Um, another one was, too many bugs, leeches, and spiders, and spider webs. Please spray the wilderness to rid uh, of these annoying pests. And then this one, I just, I just love this one. A McDonald's would be nice at the trailhead. Okay? <laughs> you know, we got to have our Big Mac before we hit the trail, you know. You know, I'm, I think if we updated that list to 2016, we would probably also add... Um, you know, establish a wireless network in the wilderness so that people can take pictures and share them instantly with their friends on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And, uh, or, so that they can play Pokemon Go, an augmented reality version, so that if nature gets too boring, they can be, uh, you know, entertained while they're out there in the middle of the nature. Yes, yeah, that's, that's where we are. But let me ask you guys a question. How many of you here this morning already during worship service, have checked your phones to see if you've gotten a text message or if you've got an update on Facebook. I'm not asking for a show of hands, but 
but I know how tempting it is. We are distracted by so many things. Michael Crichton described the need that our society has to be always entertained. He says this, he says, Today, everybody expects to be entertained, and they expect to be entertained all the time. Everyone must be amused, or they will switch. Switch brands, switch channels, switch parties, switch loyalties. This is the intellectual reality of Western society today. In other centuries, human beings wanted to be saved, or improved, or freed, or educated. But now, they want to be entertained. The great fear is not of disease or death, but of boredom. God forbid that we be bored. But that is exactly where we are. And one of the best road trips I ever took was in 1983 when I drove from California, drove down to Corpus Christi, Texas, up to Abilene, Texas, then to Nashville, Tennessee, and then all the way back to the Philadelphia area in New Jersey. And by the way, did I mention that the radio on my VW Bug did not work? And that I didn't have enough money for gas and batteries for my Walkman, so once the batteries I had in my Walkman died, I had nothing. I had to sing to myself, I had to think, I had to ponder, I had to enjoy the scenery as it was going by. It was one of the best trips I took in my life. I still have a lot of great memories from that trip. But I tell you what, I'd have a hard time today making that same trip in the, under those same circumstances. I think I would get bored. I'm spoiled with all the things that I have in, come to enjoy in this world today. You know, and it seems the children of Israel also had a problem when it came to dealing with their success. That's really the context into which Isaiah is giving his prophecy, into a very successful Judah. Our passage today begins with the words, This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. You know, to update this, we might just as easily say about America and Washington, D.C. Because, folks, we have many similarities, both social and spiritual. Let him who has ears to hear, hear. In any case, this is one of our favorite prophetic passages in the Bible. Uh, Bernie kind of commented on that as he was reading. Oh, this is a famous one. You know, we know this one. Um, you know, this is one of the areas that we really like, especially the, the beating swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. Uh, that there be no more war. We love that passage, don't we? The Jews of Isaiah's day, I think, liked it even more, especially the part about all the nations of the world coming to Jerusalem, to the mountain of the Lord. And they saw themselves there as the recipients of these nations coming to give honor to God, that they would get that same honor with God. Indeed, this may have been Isaiah quoting the ancient equivalent of the modern health and wealth gospel uh, that we hear in so many places today. We know that they, the false prophets were saying, as long as the Lord is in his temple in Jerusalem, you know, we will stand. And uh, it, it was a false hope because they thought that they could do whatever they wanted and still God would honor and bless them, even though they weren't honoring and 
serving him as they should. We get that same thing today. You know, send your offering in and the Lord will bless you a hundred times fold. And if you can't afford to send it in in one payment, send it in in three easy payments. Or put it on your credit card. You know the hype. Isaiah's speaking into that kind of a setting. Isaiah prophesies to three different periods in the history of Israel. First to Judah before it fell, where he, when he lived there. Then to Israel in captivity, and then finally to that future remnant that was to return. Chapter 2 is part of a word of judgment that God is bringing against Judah. Indeed, chapter 1 is an indictment by God of the evil that is practiced by Judah. And then in chapter 2, 6 through the end, Isaiah adds to the list of evils that God will deal with when the day of the Lord comes upon them. So chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, our passage for today, functions as a mocking reminder to them that indeed the nations of the world will one day come to the Lord. But in the meanwhile, Israel, God's chosen people, have abandoned the ways of the Lord. In the Old Testament narrative, it, it seems <clears throat> that Israel never learns. Times get rough, and they are on their knees praying to God. Things go well, they forget all about them. Doesn't that sound like somebody you know, like me? Things are going well, we don't really think about God. Things go bad, we're on our knees, turning towards him. 9-11 hit our nation, and everyone cried out to God. When doomsday failed to happen, we largely forgot about him, and we've moved on. I think it's a human thing, but that doesn't make it an acceptable one, especially for the Lord's church. When things are going well, unfortunately, we tend to coast on our past accomplishments. Zeal for sharing the gospel is replaced with a maintenance regime. Uh, you know, we just got to keep things going. We got to keep the worship services going. We got to keep the programs going. If we can participate then, time permitting, we'll keep those going. But the real, the real work of the Lord, sharing the news of salvation is something that is far, far from our minds once we leave the doors of the church after these programs are over. We, we are eager to claim the prize of salvation, but we are unprepared for the effort that God demands, demands for those who answer the upward call in Jesus Christ. We're willing to accept the blessings, but we're not willing to shoulder the burden. We're willing to walk the path that we want to walk but we're reluctant to strike out on the path that, the, that our God wants to lead us down. If we are going to build Christian bonds that will lead people to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, then we need to listen to the words spoken by King George VI of England in his 1951 address to the British Commonwealth on New Year's Eve. Think about 1951. This was a moment of time in history that was very unsettled. Uh, things were on the brink. The Cold War was just getting 
ramped up and, and going. Despondency filled the air. The, the, the British kingdom itself was falling apart. There was, uh, they, there was a recognition that that was going to disappear. Matter of fact, the king's own body at this point was racked by cancer. And before 1952 was over, his life would end. Unaware of his own physical maladies, he uttered these memorable words. I said to the man at the gate of the year, Give me light that I may walk safely into the unknown. And he said to me, Go out into the darkness and put your hand into the hand of God. It shall be to you safer than the light and better than the known. Safer than the light and better than the known. You know, we stand at the beginning of the Christmas season in which we celebrate a journey, a journey that our Lord took as he left heaven's glory, was born a baby, grew up, tempted in each way like we are, and yet remained faithful to God and without sin, and through his ministry showed us the Father, then through his death. By the way, think about that journey. It wasn't an easy one, was it? To be born an infant, to be helpless, to be born into a family that two years later became refugees, heading down to Egypt to escape the wrath of King Herod, to be in a family that was not upper crust, no servants, no help, a lot of hard work, to be the oldest in a family. Think of all the things that our Lord endured for us. And when he started his ministry, he didn't have a lot of money. He said, my pillow is a stone. Foxes have homes, but the Son of Man does not. And he was willing to take this journey even to its bitter painful end an end that I don't think I would want to have an end that even he dreaded in the garden of Gethsemane when he prayed that this cup might pass from him and yet he was willing to walk that path in obedience to God we don't like to think about that part of the journey do we we like to think about the part of the journey where we get to heaven. Woo! Yay! We like to think about the part of the journey where we have great experiences in worship. But we don't like to think about the rest of the journey. Some of the journey we'll take. Some of the journey, well, you just keep that. I'll do without it. We ask the Lord to give us a light. Show us what we're supposed to do, Lord. But I think we've missed the Lord's answer because he's already given it. And the Lord's answer is basically this. I've already sent the light. Now take my hand and follow me. And too often, we fail to follow that light that the Lord has already given. We want to follow what we think is the light, being our own understanding, which is, in reality, darkness and illusion. The true light came into this world and was rejected. But to those who accepted him, they were given the power to become the children of God. John, the first chapter, 9 through 11. To accept him, we must stop relying upon our own strength and learn to look to God through Jesus Christ. When we use our own senses... Our own eyes, ears, taste, smell, touch. 
We can be deceived. We can be like ancient Israel when they came to spy out the land of Canaan. And what did those spies see? They saw giants. We can never conquer those cities. And they rebelled against God and failed to follow his instructions. We have to look at this world, look at this journey that we're on through God's eyes. And then by faith, we will see that there aren't giants out there because God is bigger than all of that. There's no obstacle that we cannot overcome because God is there with us through it all. To walk this way, we must be willing to trust God. We must be willing to take his hand and follow him even into darkness. Because as the psalmist says in Psalm 139, verse 12, even the darkness is light to him. We may not see, but if we're holding God's hand, we will see. We also have to be willing to share this journey that we're on with those that we meet upon the way. And when we do, it changes us and it changes those that we come in contact with. You know, in the following story, uh, Terry Muck illustrates how powerful sharing the journey with others can be. He talks about a man who had no spiritual interests at all and was only related casually to his neighbor who was a Christian. They would, you know, borrow lawnmowers, stuff like that. Then that non-Christian's wife was stricken with cancer, and she died three months later. And here's the part that that widow er, wrote afterwards. He said, I was in total despair. I went through the funeral preparations and the service like I was in a trance. After the service, I went to the path along the river, and I walked all night. But I didn't walk alone. My neighbor, afraid for me, I guess, stayed with me all night. He didn't speak. He didn't even walk beside me. He just followed me. When the sun finally came up over the river, he came over and said, let's go get some breakfast. Listen to this last part of the letter. I go to church now, my neighbor's church. A religion that can produce that kind of caring and love my neighbor showed for me is something I want to find out more about. I want to love and be loved like that for the rest of my life. Remember how our passage ended today? Israel, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Walking in the light, church, means that we must reflect that light to everyone that we come in contact with. We do that, yes, by sharing the story of Christ, but we do that even more effectively when we are willing to walk alongside of people through those dark valleys, through those darkest roads, trusting that God will be with us as we walk with these people, that God is with us, that our soul is secure, and because of that security, we can then go and help others without any fear. We can go and help others, knowing that God wants us to do that, and that he will make our path safe. 
we have to be willing to follow him. We have to be willing to follow him or we will miss the directions for the journey that we go on. And ultimately, we do have to be in the right place at the end of our journey here on earth. Dave Harvey describes uh, the greatest rescue mission of World War II. It took place at the end of the war as the American bombers were doing dangerous missions to cut off the oil supplies to the Nazis. Many pilots were forced to bail out over occupied Yugoslavia. And instead of being captured, there were these remarkable rescue teams that were already in place. Serbian peasants tracked the path of the floating crews as they came down on their parachutes. Their sole mission was to grab these flyboys and bring them to safety before the Nazis arrived to take them captive. These rescued men were in friendly hands, but they were on enemy soil. They still needed to escape and to travel to the evacuation site. So the airmen had to spend weeks following these Serbian freedom fighters who alone knew the path to the evacuation site. Despite the profound language barriers, uh, the direction, the pace, the destination, that was all in the hands of the rescuers. The men had been saved from their enemy, but the journey had just begun. They still had to walk to freedom. Harvey then makes this spiritual application. He says, the story of Operation Halyard sheds light on an important spiritual reality. To be rescued from something sets us on a path toward something. For the airmen, it was a journey of survival. For us today, it's a journey of faith. The one who saved us is now calling us to walk. It's non-negotiable. Though snatched from spiritual death, we soon discover that the Christian life isn't an arrival. It's a launching point for a trek to the evacuation site. Christ rescues us. Then he points us to the path that he wants us to go on. And he goes with us on that path. He doesn't leave us to our own devices. He brings people, he brings himself through those people to give us guidance as we go along the way. The Apostle Paul describes this very active view of the Christian life in his letter to the Ephesians when he urges them to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Ephesians 4, verse 1. As we follow the early steps of Christ's journey upon this earth at the beginning of this Christmas season, let us remember where that journey eventually led him. It led him to the cross. There he secured our salvation and on the third day triumphed over death. Because he lives, we can share his life even now. But to do that, we must walk in his light, confessing our own unrighteousness, as we sang about at the beginning, and relying solely on his righteousness, taking his hand and following his steps wherever he leads us. At the end of time, folks, there's going to be a great evacuation. The Lord is going to come and judge the living and the dead. Though in Christ we are saved, we can lose our salvation if we fail to follow our guide. <coughs> Excuse me. 
to the evacuation site. Thankfully, our guide is full of grace and mercy because I know I've made some wrong turns. He is full of grace and mercy. And he supplies us all that we need for the journey. But only if we stay with him and if we walk in the light of his way. Today, I want to encourage you. If you are a Christian, continue to walk. If you've struggled with your walk, don't give up. Reach out and take God's hand. Trust him to see through the darkness because that darkness is light to him. If you are not yet a Christian, we want to encourage you to step into the light. Step into the light of God's love through his son, Jesus Christ. You do this by believing that he is God's son. Confessing that, turning your life around to him and over to him, and then in obedience, die to yourself. Be buried with him and then be raised to walk in newness of life. That's what baptism is all about. Burial in the water, dying to yourself, then being raised to the resurrection life. A life that is formed by the cross, but is looking ahead to that evacuation site where the Lord will call us together. I hope you're there with us. You can be there with us today. If you'll only come to Jesus Christ. Won't you come while we stand and while we sing?